Welcome to Valley 101, a podcast from the Arizona Republic and azcentral.com where we answer the questions you ask about Metro Phoenix. I'm your host, Kayla White. Today we're looking at the center of our valley, downtown Phoenix, specifically Roosevelt Row. Where exactly Roosevelt Row is kind of depends on who you ask, but its most popular stretch is on Roosevelt Street between Central Avenue and 7th Street, especially during the first Friday Art Walk. As we were looking for questions to start our show with, producer Taylor Seeley found this one on Reddit. What was the Roosevelt Row Arts District like before its current state? We were immediately drawn to it because for one, Roosevelt Row is so interesting. It's this colorful, walkable area full of art galleries, shops, bars, and restaurants where you can find me on any given weekend. But also there's been this constant churn of development there lately. There's new luxury condos and breweries and restaurants, and it's all sparked a lot of questions and commentary about what Roosevelt Row once was and what it should become. To explore this, Taylor honed in on one story, one part of Roosevelt. Testing, testing, one, two, three. Okay, we are good. I guess I'll grab my stuff and head in. I'm about to meet a local artist at the small grass park on 2nd Street and Roosevelt. This park in particular is just surrounded by murals. One shows a little boy with a watering can and pouring out of the can is a flock of birds. This place is really special for Lauren Lee, a local artist. And I want to tell you her story. Why did, what drew you to the greenhouse? Well, before it was greenhouse, it was just 222 East Roosevelt. So it was an old building. It was like brick. I can't remember what it was, but it was, it was not pretty nondescript. The reason I was drawn to it was because of the number 222. So that's like a spiritual number for me. And I have that in my email addresses and in all my... So and I have for many, many years, probably 20, 30 years. So when I saw that there was a 222 East Roosevelt, I thought that's going to play a role in my life. And it did. Lauren was an art student studying at Arizona State University around 2010. That's when she first noticed 222 East Roosevelt. It was vacant. When it became Greenhouse, a small shop selling paintings, photographs, and more, the store owners sent out a call for artists. They wanted a mural. Um, And so I think that there were 60 people who did do that, and I was the one that was chosen for it. And what did that feel like when you found out that you were the one chosen? Oh, it felt really great. I mean, I had never done a mural before, so it was a little scary. But besides that, I mean, I thought that, I mean, I was, I, I remember thinking if I do get chosen, that that was like a, a sign, you know, from, from the universe. So. Lauren's mural was called Three Birds. She painted it on the eastern exterior of the avocado-colored wall just in front of a parking lot. And that's what it was three identical little birds with fuchsia-colored bellies and deep turquoise-colored wings looking off into the distance. Each bird had a white circle above its head, and Lauren said they denoted the bird's spirituality and the significance that 222 had played in her life. The mural quickly became a favorite in the community, with people constantly stopping to pose with the birds for photos. Shortly after Lauren graduated, she moved to Roosevelt. But... Lauren wasn't the only person with a special connection to the building. Dozens, hundreds of people have loved it. Before it was Greenhouse, it was the 307, Roosevelt's very own gay bar. 
The Greater Phoenix Gay and Lesbian Chamber of Commerce said the 307 was considered one of the state's earliest safe spaces for the gay community in the mid-20th century. And it was actually named 307 even though it was on the north side of um, the street and only evens are on the north side, but it was named 307 because the bar had been at 307 West Roosevelt a long time ago. That's Sherry Rampy, chair of the Phoenix Historic Preservation Commission. She moved into the Roosevelt neighborhood in the late 90s. She loves it. Can you share that story? Yes. So um, one of my best friends was pregnant um, with her daughter, and I was going to throw her her baby shower. Um, I don't really love baby showers because they usually terrify a woman that's like too far gone anyway, you know, (laughs) just terrifying them about horrible stories of of childbirth so I decided to throw a really fun one because also we had a we have a lot of gay male friends and they have lots of discretionary income so um, I threw her baby shower at the 307 club which was a gay bar but they had drag shows and so I organized it with the owners they were wonderful and all of the drag queens came out and sang baby baby songs, like songs with baby in them. And one in particular uh, was named Celia Putty, and she came out with a pregnant belly (laughs) and sang, and it was just so much fun. We had such a great time that night. This era, the late 90s and early 2000s on Roosevelt. This is what people are referring to when they talk about how Roosevelt used to be. This was really the start of the street's revival. It was also at that time that Cindy Dash and her husband, Greg Esser, moved to the area. Hi. Hi, I'm Taylor. I'm Cindy. Nice to meet you. The two were artists and business people who moved in at a time when housing was particularly affordable. This is my husband, Greg. Hi, Greg. Nice to meet you. Cindy and Greg didn't love Roosevelt at first but they were surrounded by other artists who were also drawn to the area's low costs, so they quickly formed a community. First, they created an artist collective called iLounge, and then Cindy opened Maid, a boutique selling local art and goods. Both iLounge and Maid were housed in the same building, which they bought on Fifth Street. And at that time, the area really started taking off. So to preserve the artistic reputation that was really taking hold of Roosevelt and to ensure the area's continued growth, Cindy and Greg formed a nonprofit called Roosevelt Row Community Development Commission, Roosevelt Row CDC for short. Really, the reasoning behind organizing and forming a nonprofit was there was a lot of meetings happening at the city of Phoenix that were um, deciding where a stadium should go, were deciding where development should go. And actually, this area was designated to be the Cardinal Stadium. So, you know, nothing really brings people together like a common enemy. So that helped form Roosevelt Row. But what it did is by forming a nonprofit, it gave us a seat at the table. Suddenly, the city had to get in touch with us when they were having a meeting and make sure we were seated at the table. And that was the real motion behind that. And there was a lot of power in that. And we've been involved in a lot of decisions. Obviously, the state Stadium's not here um, because it would have been stadium and then all parking lot right downtown for, I believe, eight home games a year. So that organizing, you know, was one of the smartest things we did because it got us a seat at the table and then it also helped us form relationships with city officials. Cindy and Greg became active participants of the area's First Friday, a monthly art event, which was first officially promoted by an organization called ArtLink in 1994. 
but artists had unofficially started the tradition prior to that. My first Friday that I first went to, um, there was 11 spaces that were open and you had to drive to each one of them. And some were in homes and some were in buildings and it was great and there was this little black and white map that was Xeroxed and you would go around to First Friday. At one point, Cindy and Greg's gallery, Eye Lounge, had 22 people in it on a first Friday. And that was good at the time. But uh, if you've ever even driven near Roosevelt in the past 10 years on a first Friday, you know it's a little different now. That's art right there. It's a 12-foot rug that's lit up with lights and amazing people hanging out. Oh, someone's wearing disco and someone's wearing some fake fur and these big tires. W, Bob. Oh. That's art! That's art! Everybody stand up, put your middle finger to the side. Hey, okay, alright. <laughs> Look, follow your boy Crisco at IMV Rock, I-A-M-V. I just got like a round of applause from like the whole street because I sold my first painting, so... I'm gonna do this for the rest of my life. <laughs> Every time you come here, it's something different, it's something new. So if you want to be a surprise, like this is the place to come, okay? These are the sounds of First Friday today. And as you can tell, it is no small 22-person event anymore. There's about 10,000 people on any given First Friday. Cindy says much of the growth came from social media and the light rail, which opened in 2008. The general sentiment of modern First Friday goers is that yes, Roosevelt Row is alive and well, and yes, it is an arts district. And people like Sherry from earlier, or Cindy Dash and her husband, they don't necessarily disagree entirely. It's just that the answer isn't really a simple yes or no when they think about what the row used to be. I asked Cindy if she felt satisfied with what her and Greg's nonprofit had been able to do for the area if the Roosevelt Row of today is what she had envisioned back then. We were in the, even the way thinking that we were creating something that was very sustainable. And although parts of it are incredibly sustainable, um, we knew it was going to attract developers. We just thought it might attract developers that wanted to keep it. And, you know, performers often rule. And what I mean by that is, you know, out-of-town developers will come in and with their investors, what's most important is, you know, the bottom line of that project. Um, so that's where I feel we were naive. I thought we were creating something different. And, you know, to a degree it is. The murals are very important to our community. There are a lot of artist spaces that have stayed. Um, it's a forefront of every restaurant, every bar. It's a forefront of this community. Um, but what we have certainly lost is artists live workspace in our area and affordable housing in our area. If you compared a picture of Roosevelt Row in the 90s to today, the number one most obvious and visible difference is the increase in apartment and condominium complexes. Uh, the density is great. You know, it's really nice to have people walking around. It's nice to walk around at night. Uh, there's a lot more lights when you've got apartment buildings on. You have eyes on the street, you know, so when you have people looking down on the street from their fourth level apartment, it's just safer. But there are downsides to development. Over the years, it hasn't been just small shops and eateries that have moved out. Between the 60s and 90s, various group homes for people with mental health issues, addiction, and more were located near or on Roosevelt, and that's not the case anymore. 
communities have to be responsible for each other and we have to figure out where there can be group homes. You know, everybody wants a group home, but nobody wants it next to them. But the question should be, how can it be next to me and be successful and safe? And I think the question has to be, how can artists afford to live in a space? Not artists needs grants, but why do artists need grants? Right? Why can't they afford to live in the same area that a bank owner can afford to live in? And these are the issues that we just, as a large community, have to look at, is how can we be diverse in our own communities, both in income, both in culture, and work together and learn from each other and be sustainable versus growth means certain people have to leave. The question is, is why, and let's change that. Gentrification, safety of the area. Old Roosevelt versus New Roosevelt, historic buildings versus shiny new apartment buildings. Those are the conflicts and themes overwhelming the street today and concerning residents. Like Sherry Rampy, who threw that baby shower at the 307. I'm all in if they buy land. I have problems when they buy um, land with uh, old properties and then destroy them because that really is destroying a part of our... And when I say our, I mean the city's cultural fabric. And so I have a really hard time with destroying that. And there is such a value of historic. I wish that developers would understand that it is in their financial best interest to restore buildings because they will get more people there. You don't go to places in Europe and you don't go to places in Philadelphia or New York or San Francisco or Seattle. It's very rare to come back and tell people how you really love this brand new apartment building. You talk about the, the restaurants, the cafes, the entertainment venues that you saw in those cities. It's a complex issue. More housing is more people, which can mean more safety and more business. Developers have also been known to help fund local events and commission artists for work. But change can be uncomfortable. Um, it really doesn't do much good to mourn what was. We have, to, we have to remember it and not forget what we had, but let it grow into the future. But, you know, there's a lot of people who've had to leave the community because they can't afford to stay here. And at the same time, we've had a lot of good local businesses come in and open. And we've had, you know, truth be told, there's probably more art being displayed now than ever. It's just not in a traditional gallery anymore. Um, it's either being in, you know, a boutique or a restaurant or a mural. So there's probably more art, as I said, being displayed than ever before. It's just, it's not being made in our area. And um, that's what I hope we could learn going forward is how do you how do you have multi-level incomes in an area? How do you have creators in a space, not just what they created? Um, and, you know, there's there's a lot of sadness in our community for what's gone. And at the same point, you have a lot of people just moving in and thinking when you say this is an arts district, they say, yeah, it is. I see it everywhere. And they don't know the history. And I don't want to dismiss their experience at all. Cindy's right about that. So many people have different opinions about Roosevelt Row and its status as an arts district or how quote-unquote cool it is or isn't nowadays. There are so many stories to the street, so many memories and experiences, but I'll leave you with this one. Just a few years after Lauren had painted three birds on Greenhouse, she got a call from the store owners. They were moving out and closing shop and their space was being taken over by an apartment complex called Illuminate. Three birds would be demolished. Were you actually there when the building went down? 
Yes. So I was there the morning that that the greenhouse was demolished. I was behind all the fences, <laughs> and uh, the developers let me get access to that. And I got to talk to the um, demolisher. His name was John, and I got to you know talk with him because he was going to be the one that was going to you know knock down the, the wall. And he apologized, and I said, "It's not you know." Creation and destruction go hand in hand. That's that's a part of art, you know. So I was really grateful I got to film it. Why did you choose to go? I wanted to see it for myself. I didn't want to just drive by and have it be gone, you know. I wanted to watch it happen, you know, and let go. Also inside Greenhouse was an old and treasured mural by the artist Ted DeGrazia. Some say he painted the mural back when it was the 307 to pay off a bar tab, but no one really knows. And it's worth noting, Illuminate tried to preserve the mural, to cut it out. But it was so old, it just disintegrated when they tried. And just like that, a building and two murals, gone. When the first bird went down, I cried, and then I laughed, and I said, grief is like that. You know, and that's sort of how that felt. But not entirely. Lauren decided to approach the Illuminate developers. She asked if she could paint three new birds for the building. And they said yes. I knew that they were an idea and you can't destroy an idea. They just were going to be in a different form. They were going to come through in other paintings. They were going to come through. Like, I just, I knew that they were the birth of my career. You know, they had already existed. They had already done a lot of their work. And we're going to continue to, and they did. So today, anyone walking or driving along Roosevelt, heading east, will see the five-story apartment building. It's mostly beige with a vertical stripe of yellow. And along the side hangs three giant murals, one stacked on top of the other. The birds are back same colors, but this time they're flying. Three birds in flight. Hey, it's Kayla again. This episode covered a lot, and there's so much we couldn't fit in. I want to talk to our producer about that for a minute. Taylor, that was a really thoughtful and nuanced look at an area a lot of people feel incredibly passionate about. Thank you, I really appreciate that. I know in your research you learned a lot about 307 that you didn't get to include. Yes, so one of the key parts I didn't get to in the episode was just how much of an impact that 307 had on Arizona's LGBT community. When I was researching, I found on the Phoenix Pride Organization's website that the demolition of 222 East Roosevelt actually inspired an entire project dedicated to gathering and preserving Arizona's LGBT history. And why that building specifically? So the website says the LGBT community rallied to try to save that building. And when they realized they couldn't, that failure sort of opened their eyes to how little was actually being done to preserve their history. Is there anything else you hope listeners take away from this episode? Well, I hope it sparks memories for people familiar with Roosevelt, of course. But 
I also hope it gets people thinking about what in their life is worth preserving and how they intend to deal with change when it does inevitably come. Well, that's it for today. Thank you so much for listening to Valley 101, a podcast from the Arizona Republic and azcentral.com. What questions about Metro Phoenix do you think we should investigate? Let us know at valley101podcast.azcentral.com. You can also tweet or DM us on Twitter at valley101pod. You drive our show, and we need your questions and support to make it happen. Please subscribe and rate Valley 101 on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else you get your podcasts. New episodes drop on Mondays. See you next week.